Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. All right, fellas, we are three games into the NBA Finals, and as of yesterday evening, we now have ourselves a series as the Suns <laughs> yes. hold a 2-1 to one lead over the Bucks. Can't get any closer than 2-1. to one. The, yes! <laughs> the Suns dominated games one and two as Chris Paul and Devin Booker had their way with the likes of everyone on the Bucks lineup, not named Giannis or Drew Holiday. <laughs> the uh, Bucks were widely criticized for not making the necessary adjustments for game two, and Coach Bud once again was on the hot seat for not being able to slow down the Suns. Coaching aside, it's also not helpful when your offense is a one-man show and only one guy can put the ball in the basket, which uh, was the case <laughs> for the Bucks in Game Two. Um, I, outside, I, I think yep, I think Jeff Van Gundy called it. I think it was a defamat- defamatory. What did he say last night? Slanderous. He said it was slanderous We're gonna to, get to there. criticize Coach We're Bud. Get there. For, okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I missed last week. I'm back. I'm coming in hot. <laughs> you remember when uh, Letterman used to joke that he'd say, uh, you know, I got to start showing up to rehearsal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's my fault not coming to re- rehearsal. Uh, outside of the Suns' big three, they also got a big contribution from Mikhail Bridges, who scored 27 points in game two. So the Bucks faced the 2-0 hole going back home, but Giannis picked up where he left off in game three and had another Massive line with 41 points, 13 rebounds, and six assists to lead the Bucks wow. to the win. Only this time he had a little help from his friends, particularly Drew Holiday, who was largely MIA in games one and two, but came through in game three with 21 points on 18 of 14 shooting at nine assists and five rebounds. The Suns, sure. <laughs> in a reversal in game three, had to rely on the scoring prowess of DeAndre Ayton, who had most of his 18 points in the first quarter, I believe, but they were hamstrung by Devin Booker's poor shooting night. While the media was kicking the Bucks while they were down 2-0, uh, people are uh, speaking a little better of them now, but uh, as you as you referenced, Ryan, early on in Game 3, announcer Jeff Van Gundy went to bat for Coach Bud, saying that all the critics out there didn't know what they were talking about, and the criticism was slanderous. And Coach Bud is a <laughs> terrific coach. Um, in a in a related story, don't expect Jeff Van Gundy's name to surface as an NBA coaching candidate again in this lifetime. Uh, <laughs> I think he might be backing the wrong horse there. Well, Stan or Jeff? <laughs> who's, who's next to get with Jeff. We, we moved. Okay, we're transitioning. Stan can't give us the same storylines now that he's not coaching. We're, we're hoping he you- still can, but... Is there a Rubicon in which that's that Jeff Van Gundy could cross that for a coach he wouldn't defend? I mean, I just I, at what level <laughs> he's his brand at this point has just become bemoaning, you know, guys bait, foul baiting and defending, you know, languishing coaches. I think that's pretty pretty much on brand for JVG at this point. No, I think there's some kind of some some loyalty. I don't know if it's NBA coaching brotherhood. There's like. You can't be too tough on your on your peers or something, but uh, I think you're right, Michael. 
I want to show Jeff Van Gundy some video of Greg Palette and see if he defends him, defends <laughs> oh, him too. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> people people say a lot of negative things about Pete Mulholland, but I'll tell you this. That's defamatory. <laughs> that is slanderous. He is one of the great coaching minds of the mid-90s. Now that we're Freshman high school basketball. <laughs> now that we've thrown two Apollo coaches under the bus, is there a third we want to throw under? Yeah. Well, I mean, does it, does it does it make you though take his other evaluations less seriously because he can't criticize coaches? And, and it's not like these coaches need sympathy. I mean, it's it's one thing. Oh, they're these battle down coaches. Their life's so hard. They get paid millions of dollars. Like, I mean, Coach Bud got million dollars because he, you know, got on. Popovich's staff, and he coached. He got a 60-win team in Atlanta, 60-win team in, in Milwaukee. He can coach. But can he coach at the highest level and the, under the greatest pressure? He has not shown an ability to make adjustments. <laughs> like it's not, I mean, does Jeff Hickory know what he's saying? Like, does he know he's lying, or does he really believe it? Like, I know he's a son of a coach. His you know, Stan's a coach. I, I just – I'm so fascinated by that because he's definitely like – I want someone to Jeff Van Gundy, Jeff Van Gundy. Because that's like, he, Jeff Van Gundy's everyone else. And I need someone to Jeff Van Gundy here. It's a little like Popovich, you know, berates the sideline reporters. It's like, it's it's like, does he know what he's doing? Or is he just kind of a jerk? Is he kind of, we all have blind spots, but, you know. (laughs) Great line. Someone to Jeff Van Gundy, Jeff Van Gundy. I like that. Uh, We're going to stick with this theme for a little bit. Well, Actually, before we, you know, our experts break down the NBA Finals, that's you guys, the experts, that we do have some Blazers news to report. The Blazers will be hiring Scott Brooks as a lead assistant to Chauncey Billups, which is just a wonderful wonderful development. Uh, I'm sure Van Gundy does think he's a great coach, uh, but of course I predicted him to be the first coach fired this season, and he did everything to warrant that firing a third of the way through the season. Uh, but no, this is this is Olshay's best signing since giving huge contracts to Alan Crabb and Evan Turner. <laughs> um, <laughs> tinge of sarcasm there. In other Blazers news, Damian Lillard made a remark that he was not going to comment publicly about his opinions on all things Blazers, and he wants to keep things in the house. Well, that that's just great timing. Just when we needed him to speak out against the hiring of Scott Brooks, he takes a vow of silence. <laughs> As, as, as told to Chris Haynes, <laughs> Bleak, yeah. didn't he? Didn't he follow up the comment and suggest that he wanted out of, of Team USA after the performance the last few days? He was demanded a trade. Uh, I don't know if that's official, but that's a rumor. Did did Haynes break that story? Or? <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of coaches, this is the theme tonight. Uh, Larry Brown was given a Lifetime Coaching Achievement Award, the Chuck Daly Award. Uh, Not expected to be in in attendance at his award ceremony is anyone from the state of New York or any Knicks fans scattered throughout the country. (laughs) Some bad blood there. But in in Brown's defense, he did coach like every team in the NBA. You're going to have a couple organizations in the wake there. Uh, And he's still coaching, right? Is that... An assistant with... uh, yeah, Memphis. Penny Hardaway, Hardaway in yeah. Memphis. Wasn't that like? Remember, he, I remember he used to say that 
you know, he wanted to end his career like just coaching some obscure high school team. I know somewhere in yeah. America. Come on, we've heard we've heard that before. It's like, yeah, I want to, I want to, you know, just be with the people. I'm gonna be in, I'm gonna be in China. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die in China with the people, you know, in the mountains somewhere or something. You know, it's like. And, then, and when you're 80, you know, you gotta. You know, times are heading a little low too. Yeah, you gotta. I mean, that's the sort of thing you can only do when you're young. But yeah, the purity—it's the purity of the coach. I mean, it's the same thing with Van Gundy, it's the same thing with Larry Brown. It's these guys like take themselves so seriously. And again, I had more more understanding for it, you know, twenty, thirty years ago when there wasn't as much money in the racket. I mean, these guys make so much money. I mean, Carlisle signed, I think for like seven or 8 million a year. And he's at the high end there, but these guys are all doing really, really well. And they, you know, I mean, let's, let's, you know, I mean, Larry Brown at least was a really good college basketball player. I think he even played in the pros for a while. I mean, but like, let's look at Budenholzer and Van Gundy and let's just see, like, what else are they going to be doing? You know, when they're already playing basketball. So it's just, I just don't understand why it's just a pity party for guys. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really make any sense. I hear you on that. Uh, in a related national news story, the Larry Brown Olympic coaching tree and extension continues to struggle as the U.S. team, led by coach Craig Popovich, was upset by Nigeria in the Olympic qualifier. So, guys, I, th- I think Kerr, Popovich, Brown, and then Ad Knight, they, they need to get on a conference call and, uh, you know, work out how to teach these guys to box out, close out, set off the ball screens. Uh, lack of fundamentals here, I think, so. How did Popovich treat the Nigerian sideline reporter during the middle of the third quarter or fourth quarter? That's my question. <laughs> Probably yeah, better than Mike Brown or Mike Brown who's coaching. Uh, I didn't know he lost to Mike Brown. <laughs> I was like, what, what was that old joke, Love Grant? It was, you know, Shaq's like on his bad days. <laughs> it was like some horrible center. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, I play like Eric Dampier. Like Eric Dampier. And it's like, Popovich after the game is like, yeah, I coach like Mike Brown out there. <laughs> Can't say that one now. I haven't had a performance this bad since I traded Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Bobbage, you got to give him some credit. He was uh, running sprints with the uh, the team in practice, and for for a seventy two year old, he was uh, was doing a nice job. It was it was an impressive display. Got to say one nice thing about him right now. It, it is the most effort. <laughs> it's the most effort he's put into Olympic basketball this year. <laughs> going after the legend. The, the I mean, they lost to Australia tonight too. I mean, who needs Ben Simmons on Team Australia when when you have Joe Ingles and Patty Mills and Matisse Thybul? Go dogs. Seriously, I mean they're they're owing yeah. to an exhibition. I mean, if this is the actual Olympics, they would be out of medal contention. I mean, that's kind of how the run robin play works. So yeah, it's a scary development. Well, it always worries me when we don't have like the very best guys, and I think what happens sometimes when the very best guys get a little older, you know, LeBron's not coming or they're getting hurt. They're not like there's there's guys that like if we were if it was the like. You know, I guess it was like the Bill Simmons, like play the aliens game or whatever. You know, like you have to just put out your best people. Like this isn't that. This isn't that lineup. <laughs> you know, it's not like. I mean, there's some really great guys there, but it's not. You know, they, I mean, I was. It was a little desperate too because some of the guys are still in the playoffs, obviously, and so they had to call back in some of the select guys to like, you know, you know, keep the bench going. So it's. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, Darius Garland getting some burn. I mean, you don't want Darius Garland playing for your NBA team, you know, 30 minutes a game, let alone no, the Olympic true. team. The last point That's I want true. to make on this is uh, the good news for the U.S. team is that no one got hurt, although uh, Zach Levine came very close. Uh, that's a story we will continue to monitor because uh, we saw how many guys went down. Uh, they've, they've got a lot of mileage on those legs this season. Yeah, man. But otherwise, that's a wrap for the intro here, guys. Should we uh, tackle the big story, the state of the NBA Finals, Suns with the 2-1 lead? I thought, I thought you wanted to revisit Larry Brown's coaching award, but I, I guess we can move on to the finals. <laughs> or, or, or the backcourt of Patty Mills and Joe Ingles ripping the throat out from the Americans. Okay, what was, what was Larry Brown's best coaching job? The 76ers, the Clippers, the Pacers, the uh, Pistons, Knicks, the Charlotte, Nuggets, Nuggets <laughs> New Jersey Nets. Charlotte. Uh, I think oh, I covered man. half of them. I mean, that Sixers season was like a perfect combination. He won the title in Detroit, so that's the easy answer. But I, I do think that team, you know, where he, at least for a short period of time, found common cause with Iverson and like they kind of it all gelled when they got Matumbo. And that was definitely fun. They didn't have enough talent to really give the Lakers much of a fight in the finals. But, you know, the guys – I mean, incredibly impressive guy, impressive coach. He just, I mean, it's like the, it's like myth making though. It's like you're you're always telling your own story, and it's like, as our and as our uh, as the namesake of the Cardi Cup used to say, we know what you believe, not by what you say, but why, by, by what you do. So, sorry, Jay, for butchering that. <laughs> you wouldn't have done that, but we know what you believe, not by what you say, but by what you do, and. You know, Larry Brown talks it up. I'm going to go coach high school someday. Um, but, you know, I mean, none of these guys, none of these guys are going to quit. Coaching's great. Like, none of them quit. Like, Patino's still coaching. Like, because this doesn't really, it's not that hard. <laughs> really? I mean, like, you're playing the NBA. You can't just keep playing and playing and playing and playing. You have to stop eventually. Like, you can't do it. You can coach forever. Like, there's no, there's nothing stopping you. Look at Popovich. He's running sprints at 72. Like, he's, he's living the life. <laughs> you get to talk hoops, coach hoops. Make millions of dollars? I don't know. I don't feel sorry for any of these guys. That's all I got to say. Yeah, no, I don't either. I think it's part of it is that they don't handle retirement well. Even if you have, you know, $40 million and you're retired, like the, some guys need something to do. Like uh, I would be fine playing playing golf every day and, you know. Oh, yeah. But, it's like, but these but guys, it's like, like they've been retired the entire time. I mean, that's what we, what are we going to do when we're retired? Like watch basketball, hang on, talk about basketball. That's what we're doing for our free yeah, time right here. You know, it's, I think doc rivers is already retired. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh, Oh my God. I can't believe it. He's, he's living in his office. He, he Eric Spolstra is in his office all night. What's he doing? He's watching basketball. It's not like he's on the tape. He's cutting tape. It's like he's watching basketball games. Like, I mean, even if you have to do that like 24-7, I mean, like, what's your favorite food? If you eat it 
all the time, eventually you'll get kind of sick of it. But you'll take a little break, come back, and you'll love it all over again. If that's pizza, whatever it is. Like, it's like basketball. These guys, it's it's amazing. Oh, oh, Van Gundy, I'm so anxious about how we defend the pick and roll against, you know, the flop coverage or something. It's just like, relax. It's basketball, man. Like, it's not... I mean, it's one thing the NFL guys, like, it actually gets pretty complicated. Like, it's like, oh, oh, I can't believe the Phoenix Suns are running the most adept pick and roll strategy I've ever seen. It's like, it all ends up with a pick and roll. They have a bunch of different moves, and it's a pick and roll <laughs> every time. It's not, I mean, like, you're living the life, guys. Enjoy it. I know you, you, have, you have no respect. And if your players don't like you, if your best players don't like you, you're out on, out on the, you're out of the, the job. So that's tough, but. You know, it's going to be okay, guys. It's going to be okay. So you don't want to revisit well, the, the, uh, the the comparison of off-the-ball screens versus the, the on-the-ball <laughs> screens and pick-and-roll? I mean, I know at the, at the coaching Bob, retreats, that's a major topic. Bob Knight, <laughs> he, just, he just stopped wandering off and said, hey, what, the, what are you talking about? Um, no, nah, I, I, I – go ahead, go ahead, Michael. No, I just I, I think that's just a wonderful segue into actually what's going on in the finals. I there mean, we go. Bring it, us back. As Michael. much as the coaching has been criticized and 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 Bud Bud has had his own challenges in the first two games of the series, it's not like Bud showed up in Game Three and and turned into Phil Jackson with all his his adjustments. I mean, Giannis went inferno again, and then all of a sudden Drew Holiday hits four threes in the third quarter. I mean. The third quarter to me is like the most like the, like the quintessential perspective of what's happening in these in these finals is there are two teams fairly equally matched and there's there's these stretches and these runs that both teams are going on and and you know I got I, I find myself being pretty concerned for the Bucks midway through the second quarter yesterday because I go they're dominating this game and. They were up six, eight, ten at what you know at different points in time, and they couldn't pull away. And the same thing sort of happened, even to a worse extent, in game two, where you know they they closed out the first quarter up three, I think, in game two, and it seems like they totally dominated. They just happened to give up seven threes in a quarter, which is obviously kind of a bad recipe for success. And so, you know, the, game three happens, and of course, Phoenix brings the heat in that third quarter. And all of a sudden, the lead gets down to six, right? It peaked at like 20, and then it comes back down to six. And you're just sort of going, oh, no, Bud is not going to change anything. This is, you know, is Giannis can, how much more can Giannis actually give? And then all of a sudden, Drew Holiday, you know, Mr. Brick himself, hits four threes <laughs> in the third quarter. And all of a sudden, they end the quarter like up 25. I mean, I just, I just think it's so funny. Like, that's such a perfect illustration of, of this series is there's guys that make shots and there's guys that don't. I know this is like not make or miss league. Make I know it. I got it. It's the make or miss league. That's exactly. it. I'm with you. So instead yes. of Drew Holiday missing eight layups in game two, he hit four threes in a quarter. He goes five for ten from three for the game, and they end the quarter up twenty five, and then they just roll through the fourth quarter, and now they're now they're down two one, and it's a series again. So just but that game. You know, you play that game 10 times, it feels like it's half the time it's going the other direction. And the same thing sort of applies to the first couple games, too. I mean, game two particularly, you know, Mikhail Bridges misses three of his, you know, three, two or three more threes, and Crowder misses a couple. And, you know, all of a sudden, that game isn't what it was. And, and I think these things turn on these sort of, like, unanalytical dynamics. They're just sort of randomness that occurs 
And so as much as these, the coaches get the benefits, you know, we love Monty Williams's encouraging talk, which is, you know, a fun sort of subplot Force. of just of, of, admi Force. of admiring, yes, Force. of admiring him as a coach That's or, or criticizing Bud, but like neither of them are, are necessarily, you know, altering the series in these dramatic ways. Wait, so you don't think the, the biggest decision coach Bud made was to reinsert Bobby Portis into the lineup in game three to bring that extra energy, get the crowd fired up that that wasn't the, the, key adjustment right because i don't think he played much in game <laughs> did. two right yeah. watching the game i did feel like at any moment portis was going to just close like someone <laughs> so it definitely brought back a little bit of that 80s like because it's just you know knowing his history a little bit you're like at any point something could happen and it, it was so I, I don't know if that made a difference i mean it, it is cool like i think it what holiday did you know relates to how basketball's changed so much because he was shooting like pull up threes. I mean, a couple of them were open, like swung around and he got shots. But in some cases they were like, he was pulling up and shooting threes, which like five or 10 years ago was a bad shot. And it's, 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 it, but it, when you start to get a groove shooting, pull up threes in rhythm is like, it's amazing. And to see him hit a couple of those, um, was, was fun to see. I, I just think in terms of coaching, I think they all they both have to sort of go where Nash went and and I think where coach Bud got too in the semifinals series is just they got to play these guys like all the time like they can't you can't um I know Aiden was in foul trouble I know he gets in foul trouble he's a big guy it's harder but you just got to find a way to play those top guys like all the time. And I know it's like, oh, they don't have Sarich now. And it's just like, it's, it's the same problem. I mean, Kaminsky is a much, it's a worse version of him, but it, this is, this is, this is how the game has changed. You, you can't just hide someone like that out there. Like they just know, and then they're hunting for those guys immediately. So Aiton not playing as much, they don't have the physicality. And I just loved, I love it. And again, maybe it's Coach Bud, maybe getting through to Giannis. Because again, we don't know sometimes like if the coach is saying the right thing and the players just aren't doing it. Because the coach can't really go out and be like, I told them they didn't do it. And that's the Stan Van Gundy approach, which usually <laughs> leads to a pink slip uh, in today's NBA. <laughs> so maybe, Bud, maybe Coach Bud is taking the high road and Giannis just says, you know, the old man doesn't even know what he's talking about anymore um, and just does his own thing. Um, but, I thought you were going to say that was the key to Jeff. Like Jeff and Gundy is saying, well, what nobody knows is that no one listens to the coaches. They say all the right things, but the players don't listen. Exactly. Exactly. It's right here, baby. Right here. Uh, it's a genius. But I, I love seeing Giannis get low post position and decide – I'm going to go – when I have a mismatch, I'm just going to seal them and get low. And I know Monty oh, was – Cameron Johnson? I'm going to just eviscerate you. Yeah. I mean, Monty was mad about it. And, yeah, that was good. Good effort. Him and good coaching to try and do that. But, I mean, I mean that's their advantage is is him. Um, you know, Lopez, if Aiton is guarding Giannis. Whoever Aiton's not guarding between those two guys. And then Drew against their backcourt. Like – they have to just physically dominate them because the skill level isn't even close. I mean, the Suns have such great skill across the board. They share the ball so well. Like, 
I mean, it is really tough how they have four guys. I mean, the fact that the Bucks have three and a half guys, really, really tough. I mean, we talk about coaching, but just, I mean, Portis gave him some more, I know, but like the Jeff Teague Bennett's are just really tough to watch. I mean, he is like, he's not good. He has not been good. He was horrible with the Celtics, and then it's, he's playing the finals. It's like, ooh, yeah, it's just. It's just that was discouraging. Major adjustment. He chose Teague over Forbes. I mean, these are these are big calls to make. Kara. Well, I think when Forbes missed the rim on his first two threes in Game Two, he decided to move on with his life. I know Connaughton and Connaughton airballs. Every airballs a three. I'm like, it's just proof that you can't have everything, man. The guy was in a dunk contest. I mean, he's like, he's from Boston. He was in a dunk contest. It's like, but he can't shoot. So, I mean, he's hot and cold. It's just tough for me to watch because you know, they just don't have the depth of talent. They don't have those alternative guys, secondary guys like the Suns do. But, I mean, Giannis coming back. I mean, I know I missed last week, guys, but... I mean, we were all there. I mean, I think D-Love texted immediately. Sometimes we don't all watch at the same time, but D-Love was like, oh, no. It was immediate. And, like, I immediately looked up, and it was – I mean, we all thought it was he was done, right? I mean, at least for the playoffs and probably for a year. I thought he was done for a year. I thought he was done. Like, he'd just be done, and they'd be totally screwed. And he comes back. He misses a couple games, and he comes back in game one, and he's good immediately. And he's just been dominant for two games. I mean, this is incredible. Like, what he did to his leg, how how scary and horrible that was. I mean, it is, it is incredible. It's just so fun to see him just be like, I am young. I'm Charles Barkley. I'm Shaq. I'm just going to, like, just – house people i'm not gonna try and like i'm I'm. he has finesse he has skill but i'm just gonna like house people it's just it's fun to see i think the key moment there the superman moment was after he went down in the game against the hawks is that he walked he was able to walk off the court by himself and then at one point he actually attempted yeah he wanted to come play but then he wanted to play right but you didn't know if there was still like structural damage there and obviously uh i think those tests revealed that uh there was something supernatural. <laughs> no. He doesn't have these tendons or ligaments. We couldn't find any evidence of them. Uh, How did his leg do that? It's just made of rock. And... I mean, it's, it's like, I think they said it's like hyperextending a knee. I was reading at the time is not like an actual, like it's not the injury. It's like what happened to your leg and then your, your knee and then, like the injuries, what like results from that, and like he had a hypersensitive knee and basically no injury. I mean, that is crazy. I mean, crazy, and the way he plays and to come back and go forty forty back to back yeah. in, a, in well, the it's finals. Much more comfortable. He's pro- he's he's progressively gotten in each game. I mean, that first game back. I mean, he had twenty points, I think seventeen rebounds, but he he wasn't euro stepping. He wasn't really a great. He wasn't playing with you know. Let's just, let's just say that. Let's just put the point though. He came back from what we thought was a like career altering knee injury, and two games later he comes back and goes for twenty and seventeen in game one, and we're like, I mean, that's just Giannis perfectly encapsulated. It's like I don't know, twenty and seventeen, man. That's what's insane. <laughs> no, so, so I good. Wanna, I just want to, for the record, say, I mean. There's been a lot of conversation about Giannis about his capability set, about you know whether he deserves the two MVPs. I mean, what he's doing now is absolutely astrono- astronomical. But let's not kid ourselves that this was always what he was, and we were just the critics were sort of wrong. I mean, 
we were sitting in the middle of the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, and we were talking about Giannis and Ben Simmons in the same conversation about mm. guys who we just sort of, they were who we thought they were, right? They had intrinsic limitations. And something changed in the middle of that series against the Nets where Giannis decided to go Inferno and he's basically just been dominating people ever since then. And not to say he wasn't having a great playoffs before that, but he had these limitations. I mean, the amount of times I saw him just plow over guys in the first half of that Nets series, and then something just changed where he just he he's he angles his body better, he catches the ball in better positions. He sort of just he accepted that he didn't need to always be an ISO player. He, yes, he, he's playing much smarter. Yes, in terms of he catches at the nail, he catches at that left ex elbow extended, he catches at fourteen feet where he can do this little crab dribble or this drop step, or and, and he still gets some of his little flip shots. That again, the better he gets at those, the more deadly he's going to be. But he's just playing so much more effectively. It, it, it's it is a real difference. Like I don't, it just I want to make sure it's known that like. It's not just binary it was or it wasn't, and some people were wrong and some were right. I mean, he's it's crazy to see the way his style has, of play has changed from just three weeks ago. I mean, these are, these are the changes you see in players where they go away for the offseason or it's over a series of offseasons. You're like, oh, Joel Embiid, two years ago, just played in the post, and now he's like a devastating mid-range jump shooter. Like, that took multiple seasons. Now, all of a sudden, Giannis went from, like, just – you know, a snowplow basically trying to just crush guys to now he has some finesse. He has some moves, you know, again, he's still not going to be the craziest skilled player. He doesn't need to be, but he's brought things to the game that has made it so much easier for him where he's not, I think the biggest change is he's not dying of exhaustion, just trying to get to 30 points. And that's always limited his minutes is he's like huffing and puffing <gasps> all the time. And he has to have these How does that sound? Wow. I just, for a guy who's like the, you know, the best athlete in the NBA, it's always sort of astounded me how tired he would get. But you watch him and you realize how hard he was working offensively. And now. That's the coach bud propaganda, though, a little bit, right? I mean, it's like, I, oh, I yeah, he, he's exhausted. <laughs> but it is coming more easily. I mean, watching yeah. him score in these spurts no it's, it's a great point he is he's like he's like doing he's he's it's like it's kind of like oh we have this fifth grade basketball team and there's a, we have a dude who's like so he's like he could play outside and, and dominate but if he actually just was like i don't care i'm gonna run people over and not care that people are like look at that big bully kid grant Pouget bullying people over left and right and just says i'm going to town on these guys i'm just gonna i don't care anymore like it's a whole other level and it's 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 hard for those guys because even like Shaq needed Kobe, even the Barkley, you know, he had KJ, he had other guys who could create, get him shots. But I just love that he's playing more in that. Like, yeah, take a couple threes a game, make yourself feel good, do whatever you need to do. But like, get in the post, like, like don't give in. I mean, it's everyone sees it. It's just to your point, Michael, it's fun that he's seeing it and going like, I'm not going out that way. I'm going to go and take what I need to do and you know, not be embarrassed by it. Cause I do think the league, even, you know, I know we're in a post center league in some ways, even with Jokic and Embiid, but a post postman league at least. Um, but it's always been this way where it, it, we look down on 
players like even like Shaq. Oh, he's just like taking over. He just can't shoot free throws. He's just you know Chamberlain. Like all these guys over the years. It's just in in a way, it's like you have to embrace like who you are and your difference maker. And that's the the Suns' Achilles' heel is they do not. Other than Aiden, they have no plus athletes on their team. Like they, it's Aiden. It was the same problem. That's why Paul George dominated. You know, he's incredibly skilled, but like they had no one who could guard him. I mean, Crowder can try and push on Giannis. Crowder was too slow to guard Paul George. The rest of those perimeter guys are too small. If Aiden's not out there, they don't have anybody. I mean, Crowder can, you know, he can bang and he's tough. So that's, it's a big step, but it's just, there's no one. They don't have any athletes. And so I think that's where. Bridger's a guy, Bridges is a guy who I think could get there, but he's just, he's too light at this point to me. Oh yeah. I mean, he could, if, if their best guy was like a guard, then yes, he's a plus athlete in that way. I'm just saying like, when everyone comes together and it's like, I'm as quick as you and I'm bigger, it's just, that's over. So. It's a losing battle. I mean, do you think some of this performance in the last couple of games, how much do you attribute to Giannis's sort of evolution that I was talking about versus the, the construction of the Phoenix Suns compared to maybe how he was performing in the Hawks series or the Nets series or anything else? Like, is it, hey, Aiton's too slow and all the other guys are too light and that's why he's just killing people? Or is it, or, I mean, it's probably a mix of both, I know, but I just, I've just i seen sort of the narrative, oh, there's no one to guard him on the Suns. I think that's true, but I also don't think it's, you know, it's not like Bruce Brown is, was, was all this much of a plus defender. Jeff Green is a plus defender. You know, Claxton is a plus defender. Like, yeah, there's no guys. one who can guard Giannis. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think he's, again, I, I definitely, even in this series, him coming back, just seeing that, he does have to apologize for who he is. Like, I feel like he's kind of living more out loud in a way. It's like, again, just from mainly from seeing game two, especially in game three, I'm just going to go in the post. I'm not going to feel bad about like Cam Johnson trying to like front me or side me. And I'm just going to throw him to the ground. I'm just not going to care. I'm just going to do what I do. And I'm not going to like feel ashamed about it. I'm not going to feel like I have to like shoot pull of threes or Euro step or, you know, go one-on-one. Like, I'm going to do what I need to do to win. And that's the fun part to see. And he's a winner team guy for sure. But just to see someone who's like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. Because in ways, game three was not that pretty of a game. Like, it was it was scattered. There were – it depended a lot on the shooting. Um, it wasn't a lot of great basketball from my perspective. But it was like – those guys were in it they were competing they were it was a jeff and gunny dream game it was like they were all hedging and fighting and scratching clawing and do whatever it took to win and and it's it's so great even if it's not the beautiful game all the time it's just so fun to see these guys at the top of their game so committed to winning and yeah Giannis taking a step and saying like at this level what can i do to differentiate myself and it's let me get down low get the ball down low and just dominate i think the the turning point for him looking at it from the psychological perspective is when he had multiple air balls in uh, one of those games in I forget which I think it was round two. Uh, oh yeah the he, nets he like he missed he missed the net actually against yeah, the nets. So he, <laughs> he hit the low point of embarrassment and then he then there, when you reach the low point right there's nowhere to go but up and so there was a uh, there was a psychological hurdle that he, he overcame. I mean but I will say that the honest that we're seeing we do see this is the honest we've seen for the majority of the regular season, just being that dominant. But he has not looked that way always in, in playoff series. And it, it feels like maybe there was a 
getting acclimated to the moment or it's just coach bud's brilliant schemes they're getting (laughs) 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 but there's some kind of hurdle we have overcome one i think you're right d because i i think you you see him playing in these different roles and and whether this is bud's schematics or Giannis evolving as a player it's probably a mix of both but even you saw him distributing in game three, which is something you just don't see from him all that much, right? I mean, he's usually like the, the receiver on a pick and roll or he's playing this ISO game where he tries to just step around guys. I mean, he had four assists in the first quarter and, and it felt like it really set the tone for how the flow of the game, it's sort of like movement begot movement offensively for them. And it really continued to open things up. Even when they hit some rough stretches shooting the ball, they did continue to to get their this flow in their offense. I'm really curious to see how it transcends into the the next couple of games in the series because it, it does feel like without the flow, without the rhythm, that the Bucks are going to continually have a challenging time scoring consistently. I mean, they have we've seen it the last couple of rounds. The Bucks will go through dry spells when they rely on this like one-on-one sort of getting your bag scoring because none of the guys like Ryan was saying earlier are skilled enough in a traditional skill set sense to actually do that and be a plus offense, right? Whereas you have Paul and Booker right one-on-one in guys to death and and you're going to you're going to win that matchup most of the time. You know, if you have Middleton you know, you know, doing through the legs, spin, baseline, spin, fadeaways. If you're the defense, you're living with that. And I think that that team offense to me is what Milwaukee has to continue to press on. And, and what it does also is it allows you, it opens up all the other pieces of, of Tucker's cuts, Connaughton's cuts, you know, Lopez's rolls to the basket. It gets other guys going at the rim to create foul trouble, right? I mean, one of the biggest things we haven't even hit on truly uh, is is the foul trouble for Aiton. You know, he's been remarkably foul-proof in the playoffs. I mean, he's averaged like 37 minutes a game through these first three series. He, he you know, a big risk in the Nuggets series would be he was going to get into foul trouble, and, and Jokic couldn't do anything about it, right? You know, and the fact that game three, I don't think it's a coincidence that – the entire middle of the the key was wide open. I mean, Frank Kaminsky would play 14 minutes. I mean, that's a, that's a losing proposition. Brent no. is playing. I mean, Kaminsky playing is even worse. Well, the weirdest part, I remember seeing them play when they, you know, they were starting to make their run in the regular season. They played Utah, and he was getting like all. I think he started, and I was just like, I mean, I know I think Crowder was hurt, but Sarge was still around, and I was like, man, this is a lot of Kaminsky. I mean, I was like, my one thing with that team was like, man. This is a lot of Frank Kaminsky, and like he just he can't guard anybody. I mean, he can he can shoot a little bit and he's a smart player, but he can't guard anybody. So it, yeah, when he comes out, it's just like fresh meat, man. They, they need mean, someone to blame, so you can see their lips moving. There's a lot of like, damn it, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> that's no that's a CP three. That's CP three, yeah. man. <laughs> No one can blame Crowder. Like they, they'll feel scared for their life, so they have to go find some other better to kick, kick the dog. Hey, everybody's got to play their part. So uh, Kaminsky's willing willing to do that. I I am curious. Coming off of this, you know, there's I think the, you know, this the sequence of events has an influence on how we feel about the series. But where where do you guys find yourself? It's two one. We have a game tomorrow night, Tuesday night, in Milwaukee again. Do we feel like it goes 2-2 and it all of a sudden becomes a best of three going back to Phoenix? Is 
is every game sort of a toss up and you know kind of who knows i mean where where do you guys find yourself i know that i know i think where the rooting interest lies but in terms of, <laughs> of objectively where, does this go the the distance where do you guys find yourself i'm gonna say that every time it seems like the sun's I don't know if it's an exaggeration to say their backs are to the wall, but like when they were down 2-1 against the Lakers, obviously they just swept through Denver, no problem. But when we thought maybe the tide was turning with the Clippers, they kind of surprised us that when when the pressure has kind of been back on them, it, it seems like they've been ele- able to elevate uh, their game as a team. So... I am going to go on the side of not wanting to underestimate them that I think they I think they're going to step up again. I think we we have seen this element of I guess every, every team can be streaky at times, but I just feel like the the Bucks are a little more susceptible to that with uh the ebbs and flows of how well Drew Holiday and Middleton are playing. Uh, so I think it's a tough call. I think, I mean, you and I talked about it last week, Michael, that we could be in for a really good series here, and it's going to be very interesting if it is 2-2. But uh, I, I'm going to say that uh, I'm inclined to, to predict the Suns to win game four. And then subsequently win the series, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't overreact to the result. I mean, I, I think the... I mean, game two was close too. I think as Michael, you may have noted earlier, it wasn't like that was that could have cut the other way in some ways too. Um, but but I think for the Suns, um, you know, Aiden's foul trouble, not play as many minutes. Booker played really bad and obviously didn't shoot very well. So kind of feel like we'll see a bounce back um, from those guys. It's unlikely like Booker will shoot as bad and Aiden will play as little as he did because of his foul trouble. Um, but I, I do just get worried with them about their again their lack of athletic ability, lack of imposing athletes. Because like the game it, again, I, it felt like a Portis game a little bit. It was like rough. I felt like people were gonna, um, you know, tempers were flaring and tensions ran high, and I think that favors the Bucks. Um, I mean the biggest problem with the Bucks is just the guys who are getting lots of minutes. I mean, like PJ Tucker's and Pat Conner are both playing 30 minutes, you know, Portis, you know, you know, is, is playing probably should be playing more relative to the group they have in some ways, but Jeff Teague's getting like 14. Yeah. You know, it's just, there's just not a lot there outside the three guys and kind of half Lopez. So that's what, you know, concerns me, but, um, you know, I, I I guess it's hard for me to separate my rooting interest in the Suns from my prediction, but I, I do think they'll bounce back in Game Four, and you know, obviously, if they can win that, then they're in the driver's seat. Yeah, it's certainly going to be an interesting de- stretch run. I mean, I think I find myself leaning Milwaukee because I just don't know ultimately what Phoenix is going to do with. Giannis, I just I think it, if Giannis can sustain any semblance of of consistency around what this ridiculous two game stretch he's put together, I, I just think that's going to continue to spell problems for Phoenix. And what it's going to continue to do is open up more and more offense for Milwaukee. And and you assume the other guys will start to get going, even with their own limitations. When you have such a dominant offensive player 
kind of attracting that much attention. You just, I can't imagine that, you know, PJ Tucker, Pat Connaughton, I mean, even the Middleton and holiday, they won't perform better than they would have otherwise. So I think I find myself leaning Milwaukee. I think drew, you know, has actually made those guards lives pretty challenging. Yes. Um, I agree with that. I think outside of, of going 10 for 10 from the free throw line and then in game one, and then making half his threes in, in game two, I think he was seven for 12. I mean, Booker has had a tougher series. I, I don't think that's a surprise to anyone if we had thought about what the series is going to look like coming into it. But I, it, I don't know when what a bounce back looks like. I mean, I think you allude to it. He's such a good player. I think he has it in him, certainly. But Well, it looks like game two, right, where he's hit some threes. I think that's what. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, I think, 12 for 25 or something. And he was 7 for 12 from three, and all of a sudden he has like a wonderful game. Whereas I think he was like 8 for 25 or 8 for 24 or something like that in game one, but he had 10 free throws. And so, again, you're just he's creating efficiency there. It'll be a curious thing to see how the how the game is going to be refereed. Um, if if the Bucks can can continue to go some bully ball and yeah. really muck it up a little bit, and if that results in Booker not getting to the free throw line as often, uh, or if Milwaukee sort of caught on to some of his gimmicks in terms of drawing fouls, if that results in in him it being a little less efficient offensively. Again, I think collectively that that is where I find I have some concern for them over these next several games. And, and again, you know, I, I tend to try to default to who's the best player in the series, and, and it's unequivocally Giannis at this point. I mean, even even offensively, Phoenix at a, at a point in game three, I mean, you saw there's multiple instances where they kind of dumped the ball down into Aiton, and that's something they hadn't done very much in the playoffs. They've really relied on their sets and, and their two guards. And, and they just didn't really have a lot of answers, and you kind of wonder, are they looking around kind of thinking, what does this look like? I mean... I, I don't want to overemphasize sort of the legacy of all of this, but it does feel like it's going to come down to what what CP can do, and if he has the legs at 36 years of age to really be the guy who who makes the engine go because they they're so good. I mean, he, they're so good when he's playing. I mean, that third quarter comeback, I think I think Van Gundy mentioned it on the broadcast, but. That entire third quarter comeback where they were just getting whatever. I think they were 9 of 10. 9 of 10. It was crazy. From the field at one point yeah, in the was third crazy. quarter. Yeah. And then Paul sits down, and all of a sudden, like, there's the barn doors fly off. I mean, it's just, you know, it, how much can Paul stretch? I mean, you talked about this with the Bucks, Ryan. You know, will Bud play them the extended minutes, especially the three stars playing them the 40-plus? And, and will Monty do the same? There's a lot of young guys on the Suns, but the most important guy is Paul. And I don't know how comfortable you are stretching him to that that length. I mean, what kind of exposure are you creating in terms of injury and fatigue and consistency for a guy who's 36 versus, you know, when you stretch DeAndre Ayton, it's a little different conversation, right? He's like 22 years old. So um, long way of saying, I think I, I lean bucks at this point, uh, but, you know, it, it ultimately, I think, is going to come down to very make or miss on this thing because these teams are just – they're so similarly – I think they're so they're very similarly skilled and their flaws sort of complement each other and so that each game can kind of be unique in its own right. And I would argue that as, yeah, as much as Paul needs to play big minutes and we've sort of already alluded to this, but how critical it is for 
for Aiden and and particularly to stay out of foul trouble, which he's actually done a really he had done a really good job of, I feel like, since even round one against the Lakers until last game. And then we saw how devastating it was for the Suns to miss him for any any type of extended minutes. Uh, like like you said, Ryan, I mean, he's he's the only one that can be uh, a defensive presence down low and at least uh, slow down uh, Giannis. I do have to say on a side note with with Aiden. When he maybe just develops like one more post move and he perfects like that 15 footer, he's still got some scary upside uh, as a player. And I don't think he's ready to, to, to carry any offensive load. I mean, the, that, that first quarter was more of an anomaly. He can score and they need him to have some, but he's obviously, they're not expecting him to score 18 points or more per game, but obviously he's got to be the uh, anchor defensively because the uh, the cam johnson uh tory craig crowder front line is just uh it's not going to get the job done as we've seen i mean the amount of times that cam johnson finds himself switched onto Giannis eight feet from the basket i it just it has to be traumatizing for cam johnson at this point it just he gets put in the basket like every single time it happens and i and ryan you said this earlier i mean monty complained about the foul calls at a certain level but i mean isn't that sort of the Phoenix's like strategy in some ways? It's like every time Giannis gets the ball in the paint, you just foul him and roll the dice that he's not going to go 13 for 17. I mean, I think that's kind of what they have to do. And if that's the case, then you're always going to have this, you know, substantial difference in terms of free throw attempts. I mean, with one guy's averaging 17, he lives at the freaking rim and Cam Johnson can only do so much to limit it. I mean, they they need to make sure when they do foul him is that he's not he's not making the layup too because that happened several times last night and that obviously uh, defeats sort of the purpose of of that strategy. Yeah, and I, I think in terms of strategy and I mean, you know, they're stretched defensively on the perimeter. The Bucks are just because you know Holiday can't guard everyone, but I do think the more they can focus him on Booker, um, I think that's the direction I would go is to really try and take him away because it's a little reminiscent at times, at least in game three of Holiday against McCollum a few years ago in the playoffs where it's just like he's just – like Booker I think is a little bigger than CJ. Like he's not like as maybe slight, but still like he's not, again, an imposing athlete. And Holiday just can kind of do what he wants with him. And so <laughs> I would just – I would just say holiday, like just make Booker have problems and then let's just let Chris Paul go for 40 and see if his legs give in or give out, you know, like let him do his thing. And and maybe you, you know, it's again, it's unfortunate that they don't have the roster where they can put Giannis at center and have like, you know, sort of, I mean, I guess you could put Tucker in there and Connaughton to a certain degree, but I, I, yeah, I just, it's, um, I mean, if, if you could go smaller, have Holiday guard, and then they just don't really have anyone to chase Paul, unfortunately. But I, if they can find a way to kind of just take Booker away, I think that was really helped the Clippers is when, you know, Beverly was giving him some issues or at least just giving him some concerns. Um, I think, you know, that's kind of the way to limit them because, again, like Bridges has been hit or miss in terms of being sort of that third creator um and crowder and johnson are more going to play off the ball so um yeah i i just think it's if, if you kind of think at the end it's like the best tools are going to win then i think the bucks 
have that just with with Giannis and Holiday. They have the two best athletes. Um, you know, at their respective positions, but we'll just have to see what happens. We ready, guys, to uh, transition to our which we missed last week, but it's let's uh, do it back by popular demand. Or we'll always be here by no, popular demand. I, I think I got an extra point last week. It was a, an attendance award. Michael tried to advocate for <laughs> an extra point, <laughs> and I pointed out that he doesn't want to earn points that way, and he was then ambivalent about that. So. <laughs> I mean, do you think LeBron is disappointed in his title, his ring from last year, because it happened in a bubble, and all you know, in a pandemic year? I mean, he he doesn't care, man. It's a point's a point. <laughs> Rings a ring. A Actually, a qu- before we get to the the trivia, one question: Do you think? Do you guys think that the Lakers ring or the Bucks Suns ring over wins this year? Like, which will be considered the like the bigger? Like that was the more impressive thing, because you know you kind of get it a little bit of the. I think people have referred to it as the Mickey Mouse ring, you know, being from Orlando or whatever <laughs> last year, um, no home crowd stuff like that. But then obviously this year with all the injuries, you know, if you're shooting out five years from now, looking back, like which is the championship that people are going to be like, well, that was at least relatively more legit. I think if from that angle, I think. History would probably say that the this rash of injuries is what tipped the scales to these teams that were had less talent being having a chance to be able to emerge. Uh, so I would think history would say that this would be the less of the two this year. Uh, personally, I don't think either of them should. Be yeah, put right. In that category. <laughs> I mean, but I think, and I think the bubble is like. Part of what I don't think you said about the bubble because everybody was dealing with the same adverse circumstances, and but there weren't the level of injuries, so you can say you know luck was was more of a factor. But I just think there's so much that goes into it that I don't think we should diminish the accomplishment of of winning um, of any team winning a championship. But I think history would would probably judge this year more harshly. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, it, this year clearly has titles a title. I totally agree with you guys, but it certainly has more asterisk on it. I mean, I think there's a case to be made that is Phoenix the fourth best team in the West. And like, if all things are being equal, that you know, if you if you turn injuries off in the simulation, um, when you have teams like the Clippers and the Lakers and the Nuggets, and so I mean, and simultaneously, I mean, the Bucks lose in the second round. Like, if if even two of the three net stars are playing at like a normal level. So I just, I, I think if we look back, there's certainly dynamics in play that have caused Phoenix Milwaukee to be the, the finals matchup. And it, honestly, it's been a great matchup. I think it's been actually a pretty fun finals so far. And there's a lot of fun narratives watching Giannis kind of fight for his first title, sort of ascend watching Paul have this shot at the end of his career I mean, it's tremendous, and so I'm, I'm glad it's worked out the way it has. It's really fun, but I do think you're going to have sort of bigger questions on um, on that on this season than you would kind of last year. Now, in the, you know, in 20 years, people may forget that that all the injuries happened, and they'll look at just the bubble season being as weird as it was, and so maybe that's the way it's perceived. But again, I, I do think. 
you know, I'm an advocate that like Bud should get fired even if they win the title. So, it, you know, I would say maybe there's probably should be an asterisk on this on this title just because of of uh, the way you know all the injuries have happened. It's just pretty wild to me that uh, Jeff Van Gundy's going to egg your house and uh, I think he will. Tires and- <laughs> all right. Uh, any more to weigh in on uh, that one, Ryan? For you, we good. Well said, well spoken, my friends. <laughs> All right. right uh, Michael is uh, remains uh, ahead by one point. I think he's <laughs> held that lead for the last uh, two months. <laughs> Scintillating. <laughs> Steve Nash. <laughs> okay. Who holds the record for most points, total points, in NBA Finals history? Again, who holds the record for most total points in NBA Finals history? Is it Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, or the godfather Jerry West? Most total points. Now, this is a great question. The timely, uh, on brand, from the middle of the finals. Uh, Thank you. And and I think the four good (laughs) options. so, so, uh, Mr. Peter Meyer, I'm glad you're in your role. Way to go in terms of uh, providing trivia. Oh, whoa, whoa, is this whoa, you, whoa. Derek? Yeah, this is me, 100%. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, without further ado, I, I might be galaxy braining this, but I'm going to go with Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Thank you, Michael. Can you repeat the answers, please? No problem. Is it Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, or again, I always have to present this way, the godfather, Jerry West? I'm going with Kareem as well. Okay. There will be uh, no points awarded. It was not Kareem. No. It was not LeBron. And it was oh, wow. not Jordan. By actually a significant margin, I believe. Uh, I believe I, I did look this up. <laughs> It is Jerry West. The Jerry guy West. Yeah. No way. Yes, there, there was a lot of second place finishes for, for Jerry West. Because so. what? He was like one and eight in the finals or something? Looks like Ryan is already uh, fact checking this one. Is no, he, no, no. I'm just like, I'm trying to see how many finals he was in. Wow, yeah. nine. Because wasn't Kareem in like nine himself? Uh, you might be thinking of LeBron. Well, LeBron was in the most, wasn't he? Ten? This is riveting content right now. No, it's really, it's a great question. Well done. Well done, uh, Peter Meyer. I mean, (laughs) 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 the order, yeah, the order is West, LeBron, Kareem, Jordan. Jordan makes, Jordan only played, Jordan never lost. He played six, right? Yeah. And, but you're saying Kareem, because I thought Magic was in, I guess he was in 90 or 91 by himself. Magic was in nine finals. And so Kareem was an eight with Magic, right? Eight, eight with Magic, but he had two in Milwaukee. Two in Milwaukee. That's the part that got me on it. And then, but but I guess maybe they were just, but you know what? He did not, but he was not the main guy on most of those Lakers teams, right? I mean, that was the thing. I mean, he, he overlapped with Magic, but then he kind of just became kind yeah. of like the glorified Bill Cartwright on the, yeah, on the, the latter two, teams. Yeah, the last two years, he probably yeah. averaged like 10 to 15 points a game yeah uh, it hook shot at the beginning of every quarter basically uh 
I mean, West is incredible. I mean, it's, yeah. Well, great question. Well done all around. I have to say, I, w- I would have, I would have narrowed down to LeBron or Kareem too. I, I would not have got this one correct. Every other where one I, I would have got so. correct, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I would stand actually against you guys. <laughs> all right. Well, Michael once again remains uh, <laughs> has a one point lead. Uh, our uh, apologies to to Jerry West. Um, even though we flattered him with attention, he uh, did not want to come on and join us tonight. But, uh, actually, he, he owes us an apology. I'm sorry. Got that one backward. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3 and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit.